Welcome to the Redwire series by Vodafone Business. Today, we're here to talk about some of the challenges we see small businesses facing in Australia. I'm joined today by an expert in this space. Alison Morgan is a business coach and founded her company, Relauncher, almost 10 years ago. In that time, she's coached more than 500 small business owners, including the founders of businesses like Sparkling White Smile and The Base Collective. Alison, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So I guess with all of the plethora of expertise you have in this area, I really wanted to find out what are some of the most common challenges that you see with business owners when they're coming to see you for coaching? Yeah. So many people are just unsure actually where to start. So they're really, really good at the product or the service that they're selling. But when it comes to actually setting up the business or marketing it and growing it, they're kind of like, oh my gosh, I really don't know what to do. And quite often they will have already been trying to do it themselves, but just not having traction. And in particular, finding those first customers and clients can be the hardest. Yeah, I guess a lot of people come as a really deep domain expert in a particular field. Like I know when I launched my first business, Wink Models, I'd had a background obviously in modelling and then I'd worked as a producer. So I really, really understood the industry, but I didn't know things like managing cash flow or, you know, reconciling bank statements or online marketing. So I think they're the, the big struggles, right? As you start out, you're wearing all of the hats. You think that you have to be all of the things. Yeah. Um, and making that jump onto where to make the first hire and who that first hire should be. Absolutely. Time management is also another issue. So as the business becomes more and more established, the person becomes busier and busier. Mm. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I don't have any time to be doing anything. Plus they're trying to juggle, you know, family and lifestyle and it just gets super hectic. So quite often they'll also come to me because they need that helicopter approach and look into the business and also just to help them kind of like restructure it and reline it so they can pull themselves out, put themselves actually in the area of expertise and then bring the right people in to help grow it. It's so true about getting that, I call it sort of the 30,000 foot perspective, you yeah. know, which is so hard if you're working all day and the three foot and you're down in the weeds and, you know, it's so impossible to see the forest for the trees. Yeah, absolutely. On that, is there any sort of resources that you recommend to business owners that are trying to, I suppose, put some more practical processes in place to give them a little bit more space to stop feeling so overwhelmed? Oh, gosh. There's so many things you can do, but I think, like, number one is to make really good use of your time. A lot of people actually come to me saying that they're actually wasting the time and they can go through the whole day and feel like they really haven't achieved much just because they're so overwhelmed. So I think, like, number one is really to establish a good routine that's going to work for you so that you're being productive and also being really focused and understanding like what is it that you need to achieve because once you crystallise that, then you can start to put the motions in place. And the most successful businesses that I see are the ones that identify like hurdles and challenges and then stop and reset and create solutions to move ahead. So I think that that is a really key element is just basically setting yourself up for success and then creating ways to work efficiently. So that can be, you know, sharing spreadsheets through, you know, Dropbox so that, you know, different people can... Yeah, you know, shared up, Google Drives have changed my life. Haven't they? They're absolutely amazing. Um, there's lots of apps, whether it's like Evernote that you're using to, you know, put down thought starters, 
mm. when you when you're going for a work a walk because what a lot of business owners also say is they have all these amazing shiny new ideas <laughs> they implement them when they're shiny exciting and then they come to a grinding halt and so as a result they've got all these like mini projects on the go and nothing's coming to fruition so you know Evernote is actually good for that because you can put things down and start to structure processes um, and projects and you know, the aim is to see it through to the finish because if we're not actually executing things to the finish, we're actually just wasting our time. I totally agree with that. And and in my business, we use so many different project management tools, obviously Jira for actually managing the development work, but Trello boards as well for internal company projects. And again, it, exactly as you said, we went through a phase of being so excited about a new idea or a new product feature that we were going to release and all the enthusiasm for that. But then as soon as that feature was released or, you know, a new project was done, everyone was so busy on whatever the next new shiny object was. They weren't focused on really executing that to the fullest of the abilities. And yeah. I think it's something that you see so commonly in small business. It's yeah. a, a real challenge. There's another app called Monday, which is really good for tracking. I've heard phenomenal things yeah. about that. They've yeah. actually been doing some good advertising through YouTube and also through Instagram, which is quite interesting because, you know, there's a lot of ads on all the different social media platforms, yet only like a handful will stand out mm. to me, but that's one of them. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to pick your brains on today because it is so overwhelming as a small business owner. I mean, what of these marketing channels there is now so many new channels and within each of those channels there's new features. So, you know, you've got Instagram static posts, then you've got Instagram stories and you've got IGTV, you've got LinkedIn video now. There's all of these different channels that you can be talking to customers on. But as a small business owner, how do you evaluate what is the right channel for you and how should you be investing in it? Because creating all of that content not only is very, very expensive, but it's incredibly time consuming. Yeah. I mean, look, you could you could waste a whole day just flicking through Instagram yeah. itself. So true. <laughs> and a lot of people do that when they're first starting their business as well. Yeah. They kind of just get sucked into that vortex. Look, from my point of view, it's working out what, where are your customers and clients and in most scenarios, not all of them, it's mainly they can connect best on Instagram and Facebook and if it's B2B, it's LinkedIn. So it's basically just starting where you, with what you know. So for me personally, I started on Facebook because, you know, that was 10 years ago and that's when Facebook first launched. It was like, oh my gosh, this is all new. I don't even know what to do. So it's really about just immersing yourself, I think, into one channel that you're familiar with. And if you're familiar with a variety of them, then, you know, do Instagram and Facebook at the same time. But the best thing to do is to repurpose content. So rather than creating new content all the time, it really is quite valuable just to like stay on a topic or a focus and then put that on, on all the different channels. However, the way that we speak to our audience on the different channels is different. So we, might, we may use the same link or we may use the same image, but the caption needs to be written in a way that is speaking to the people on the platform. So I just think, you know, like anything, treat it like stepping stones, but make sure that you're, you're on a platform where your audience is. Like you wouldn't go onto TikTok for someone like me if I'm talking to business owners. It's just know, not relevant. It's, it's not relevant. Or Snapchat. You yeah. know, like, it's just not where my target audience is. But in every post, 
it's, you know, as we always say, it's quality over quantity, yet you need to be there on a very regular basis. Totally. And it's exactly what you touched on before. There's only so few pieces of content that stand out these days. And I always say to clients, you know, it's such a personal relationship that one we have with social media and, and the time that we're spending there, that if I'm having a brand engage with me in a way on social media, it needs to be entertaining or it needs to be informative. It needs to be adding value to my life. So if that piece of content is not doing that, if it's just trying to sell me something, it's highly unlikely that I'm going to engage with it. So finding those ways to really get cut through. There's a really good tip for writing on Instagram because quite often we can get like, I see a lot of people just start creating content. For example, like a nutritionist, posting, you know, food shot after food shot and it kind of just, you know, blends itself in because Mm. we see so much of that. So a really good... a really good tip is actually like to choose your topic or your message that you want to send across to your audience and literally write it and then reread it, obviously, before you post it. But if you treat it a little bit like a text message, so when you send a text message, you're expecting a response from that person. In today's era, we don't always get a response, <laughs> but we're expecting a, resp- a response. So we want to take that same approach with the Instagram that we we create a caption and we write it in a way that we expect a response. That is such fantastic advice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a two-way relationship, not just here's my message, Abs- here's what I want to tell you. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, the other key is, as we know, is hashtags. And what I always see is that if you look at accounts and you look at the hashtags they're using, generally speaking, they're far too broad. So they might be using hashtags like, you know, organic or healthy business or, you know, these really big, broad uh, hashtags. And as a result, they go into the hashtag field search section and they just get lost, you know, even sometimes within 30 minutes and, and we're reaching people all over the world. If your business is location specific, we're much better off being location driven with the hashtags. So let's just say I'm targeting Sydney. A lot of my hashtags would have Sydney before it or Sydney after it or even including like locations like Bondi Beach um, or Surrey Hills. Mm. So by using location specific hashtags makes all the difference. And I know personally that's how people find me. I know personally in my businesses, another big tool or process that has worked really well for us in growing both Wink Models and The Right Fit has been email marketing. I just think it's such a powerful tool to communicate with not only new customers and cold leads, but um, those existing customers that you have and re-engaging them and continuing to build that trust and relationship. But I know a lot of people find the idea of building those first lists, or as you sort of said before, finding those first customers to even add to those lists, a really daunting task. So do you have any advice for people on email marketing and how they would go about building a list of people to be speaking to? Yeah. You know, it's a lot harder these days than it used to be because people really don't like to hand over their emails Mm. because our inboxes are full. And I personally have five inboxes. How many do you have? Three, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and there's a lot of like work stuff coming in. So when, when the newsletters come in, unless I'm fully engaged with that brand, I'm quite likely to unsubscribe or hit delete. So it's much harder to get people to sign up than before. But in saying that, you know, obviously it's so important for business owners to place a focus on it because the followers that we have on social media, we don't own. So Mm -hmm. it, it has to be a focus, I would say, at least like, you know, two quarters out of every year to to build this email list. So 
everyone needs an Everyone needs a website. Most people will have a subscribe on mm-hmm. their homepage. In saying that, not that many people subscribe through that page these days. Yeah. However, we all need it on the homepage. <laughs> and it's also good to have an opt-in, which means that when people sign up through that homepage, they get something free, like a downloadable Ah, a value exchange. Yeah, or if you're an online shop, you'd probably give like 10% off your first order, you know, for purchases over X dollars. Yeah, okay? putting value on that data. Absolutely. So we need that on the homepage. That works better for a retail shop, mm-hmm. okay? okay? But we all need it. Mm-hmm. Then a really good approach is to have an e-products page within your website. And on that e-products page, generally speaking, is where people will sell things like e-books um, or online courses. So it's a shop feature. In there, what's really good is to have two or three um, downloadable pieces of content that people literally like check out of your shop and purchase them for free. Okay. Right. Yeah. And the way that we create this content is we work out, well, what, do the, what does our audience need to know or want to know from us? And to work out the topic for these opt-ins, you literally just go into your messages from social media or your comments on your social media posts or your inbox because generally people are asking you for questions. You know, they're asking yeah. you for things that you don't necessarily have or they're asking you questions. And so with this content you create, is basically these these answers. So, for example, on my website, I have checklists. You know, how to, steps to set up a business. You know, all these kind of just sort of first entry point into the business answers for them. So you create a word document. You and the best thing with an opt in is to make it interactive. So a quiz or a checklist, uh-huh. or something along those lines that gets Gamified that. a little Absolutely. bit, make it enjoyable and fun. Yeah. So it only needs to be one or two pages long. But where, where most people go wrong on their opt-ins is they forget to put at the end their bio, a picture of them or their product, and call to action, which basically is links that leads them back into the website or the social media channels. Because otherwise, these are strangers that have come through, they've downloaded your content, they read it, and then they bin it. Mm. Okay, so we want we want to feed them back into the business. But the whole point is, is when they check out of the shop for these opt-ins, you're capturing their email address at that time. So on my website, I have that right in the centre of my navigation and the amount of people that download that content without me even promoting it is incredible. So that is personally how I, one of the ways that I build my email list. Another way is literally is when you're writing your blogs, you can have a link through to those shop items mm-hmm. because, again, we're, we're filtering people through a journey throughout the business. So in that particular place, we're feeding them from the blog into the shop. They download, we capture their email address. A lot of other businesses do like market stalls or trade stalls uh, or, you know, have expo uh, exhibitions. Mm-hmm. It's incredible how many people are spending so much money on these platforms yet are not using that to build their email list. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's so many more affordable ways to be going about that. Absolutely. So literally you can you can have a you can do a giveaway where they've got to, you know, provide competitions. Yeah, right? competitions. There's so many ways of doing it. Another thing which I think is really unutilized is our emails, our e signatures. 
So personally, I update my e-signature, whatever the focus mm-hmm. is for that quarter. So if, for example, my focus was to build the email list, I would have down the bottom underneath my signature, you know, download your free whatever and send them into that section on the website. So there's lots and lots of different ways of doing this. To get people to engage. Yeah. It's a really brilliant idea. Yeah, but simply just waiting for people to land on your homepage and sign up and isn't enough. And by chance, enough. yeah. It's not enough. And I really like what you touched on about there needing to be some um, reward for them giving you that data. So I think that's the... Yeah. Exactly as you said, not just waiting for someone to land on the page and, yeah. and willingly give you that email address. Well, another thing, I th- again, that I think is underutilised is when we send the email out, we should be encouraging the people that are receiving that email to forward it on to a friend. Okay. Very clever. Yeah, because there's that share button at the bottom. And then if you're providing the right information, those people are likely to sign up as well. So we just need to be thinking about, you know, like what are these touch points and also just matching the communication to those people's mindsets. And that's why a lot of people have actually segmented lists mm. and, and they're sending it out, the communication just to that person, which is what we've always done when we worked in the corporate world. But trying to adapt that into a small business when you've got the hats of a thousand positions can be difficult. Overwhelming. Yeah, which is why, you know, the position of a VA or someone like that can actually assist with that process because it's not hard. You just need to tell them what to do. Yeah, and for everyone listening at home, a VA is a virtual assistant and they are generally based offshore um, and can be a fraction of the cost of using uh, full-time employees or onshore workers and is a fantastic way at sort of scaling businesses and getting some of those admin tasks done that can be very, very time-consuming. The other thing that um, I often talk to people about is um, the power of collaborations, working with other small businesses or even larger established businesses um, to help grow and um, find new customers or helping retain and reactivate your existing customers. What do do you think about partnerships and collaborations and how do you evaluate what is the right partnership opportunity? Is it when someone reaches out to you and says, you know, hey, we want to collab, we want to do something together, does that make it the right partnership? This is such an interesting conversation because from my point of view, collaborations and partnerships are absolutely king, but there's a time and a place and you have to make the right connections. Otherwise, it can actually just waste a lot of time. Mm. So I think the number one point is, is that your business has to have some brand awareness and be established before you try to enter into these partnerships and collaborations. I've seen where people have started businesses, have found it really hard to get traction and they're like, right, who can I collaborate with? And they've got these wild and wonderful ideas of collaborating with these people that have been in business for five years and it's, <laughs> it's just never going to happen. Yeah. So number one is we need to create the business ourselves and go through those, you know, really tough setting setting it up. Yeah. Fine. We need an audience. We need to establish brand awareness. Then you get to a point where, hang on, let's collaborate now because this is going to be a really great way of, you know, expanding my reach and exposure. With collaborations and partnerships, this is so important that we find people to collaborate with that have a similar target audience, yet a different product or service. I've seen a lot of people try to collaborate with basic competitors. And and it's really interesting. I think people get so close to their business that they can't see. And then they think, great, you know, this is going to be a great, you know, this is going to work. And often that person is in the same situation. And then I've actually seen them collaborate and then they're kind of squabbling over who's going to get that client. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> not the ideal outcome. No, for- and you know what? It's that it, that just sounds so basic, but it actually happens all the mm. time. And I'm sure people that are listening in are going, actually, I know of someone that that's happened, happened to. So interesting. So yeah, collaborate with people that have got a similar target audience yet different product or service, but also that are a similar stage of business to you. Um, because then you're you're on equal paths mm-hmm. and, and everyone's chipping in. But more importantly, you need to collaborate with someone that's actively marketing themselves. Because if they're not, you'll find you'll collaborate and you're going to do all the work. And then, because that other party is not advertising and marketing it, you're literally handing your audience to that person you've collaborated with. That's another fundamental mental, you know, issue I've seen time and time again. So this is why social media is fabulous for finding collaborations because these people, you can see they're actively marketing themselves and they get it. Yeah, and easy to identify if they're going to be a good match for you and that it's going to be a mutually beneficial outcome for your customers and potential customers. Yeah. I do think, though, when you go um, to pitch an idea you actually have to have the idea in basic format because otherwise you're literally knocking on someone's door going, wouldn't it be great if we did something? And it's like, yeah, and three coffees later it's like, you know, it's just a wasted time. I'm sure you've seen seen that. I've seen that happen many, many times. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely agree with you. Get the fundamentals down, have a bit of a proposal together and say this is how I can see this working. Yeah, and timelines as well because quite often both parties will go in all gung-ho, yet the person's idea who's generated the thought starter, it's often at the top of their priority list. The other party, they haven't thought about it, it can quite often be down the bottom. And so we need to kind of match the priorities because, again, if that's if that's not matched, it's not going to come to fruition. So those early meetings are super important, you know, to make sure that it mm. comes to fruition because otherwise it's just another shiny idea. Yeah, and it sounds like having those hard conversations up front is the most important yeah. thing, really getting that out on the table. Yeah, and also I think it's fine if both parties are not putting in equal work as long as that's discussed up front. front. Yeah. Absolutely. And what about the premise of retention marketing versus sort of new customer acquisition marketing? I know that as a, especially when we were a startup and small business, we were very focused on just getting new customers in the door. We just needed more people, more customers, new people joining the platform every day. And it wasn't until, you know, probably six or eight months in that we realised actually we were earning more money from existing clients posting more jobs in our platform. So our focus needed to be on reactivating those clients and reducing churn. So do you see people um, being able to focus on both of those strategies? And what's the difference between reactivation and um, acquisition marketing. Yeah. It's interesting because I think the default is we need new, we want more, and a lot of people just focus on that. And to begin with, we have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, The minute we're established, we need to go back, as you say, and look at the people that have fallen off the radar because, you know, the top 10% of customers spend 3% more. That is just fact. That's the same in my business. It would be the same in your business. Yeah. So in particular, I see this. This is just a really good example with fitness businesses because they've got their intro offer. Yeah. Okay. So people come in on the intro offer and then there'll be a portion that carries across, but there's going to be a portion that fall off. Mm -hmm. There's also going to be people that come across into, you know, the 10 pack class pass and then they finish up the class pass and then they fall off. So retention for those people, or for any business, but retention for them is like absolutely key because they would always have people falling off. Mm. So 
one one way you can do it is through a nurturing email sequence. So if you've got a type of business like a fitness where you've just con- constantly got people falling off, you have to automate that. Otherwise, it's just not scalable. Yeah. No, you have to automate it. And generally, it's through a round of up to three emails. Uh, some people also put a text in there as well because te- I know F45 do a text mm. that goes out to their database. So it just depends on whatever works for your business. And sometimes it's just trial and error to work it out. But it's also getting them at that sweet spot. That is absolutely key because you'll have like these people – um, that have that have got like a warm asphyxiate or a warm feeling with your business and that's when you need to hit it. Yeah. So I think a really good exercise to do is actually map out the customer journey. So what you can do is just get a big piece of butcher's paper and see where your where your people are coming in and then the different points where they're dropping off. And then when you see that, just working out, well, what's the good timing to approach these what's the message to onboard them again and how how am I going to do it is it going to be text is it going to be an email is it going to be a phone call it just depends on what what your business is so I just think that that is so important and in particular also it's much cheaper retention marketing because they already have trust um, and you know they really understand how your business works and they're just easier to onboard. So mm. we always need to have a focus on the retention. And one of the things that I often talk about with people is, you know, we don't always need new ideas or new marketing strategies to build a business. Our existing and our past customers will tell us what they want. And I think one of one of the biggest things and which has been actually quite successful for me is going, well, beyond what I'm already servicing these people with or giving, you know, product with these people, what else can I provide them? So basically, you know, your your end goal is to extend the lifespan of your customer rather than always looking for new ones. It's a really brilliant point. Yeah. What is the other pain points that that person might have that you can solve? Well, quite often they're actually already asking you. Mm. And you're probably quite often referring them to different businesses. And from that information, I mean, I've created an entire second business out of that. It's phenomenal, yeah. isn't it? The yeah. Sticky Studio. Yeah. And the, and the beauty about operating a business that way is by the time that second business starts, it's pumping. Yeah. It's pumping. It's already got the leads from the Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that that is an absolute key element is to always just say to yourself, and this is more for the businesses that have been going for three years plus. Okay. How can I extend the lifespan of my customer? Yeah, my existing offering. The other thing I'm personally a massive fan of, as you may know, is networking. I just think that those face-to-face conversations are so powerful and I think um, it's, it's a trap as a business owner especially that you are so busy and you've got so many things on your plate that it's so hard to get out of the office and that you don't have time to get to these networking events or... Um, these seminar days or conferences. And I just know that personally I've made so many invaluable connections out of these days and learnt so many things. And people that have gone on to become um, customers or become potential employees um, or strategic partnerships. So I think it's just so, so important to people for people to get out there and network. But I know for a lot of people there's a, a big fear around that about firstly how to successfully do it so it's not a waste of time. And um, secondly, how to really make sure that they're not just wasting time going out there and and meeting with anyone, that they're actually meeting with the right people within those organisations. So 
What What is your advice on, on networking? I think networking is so important for every stage of, the, stage of the business. So even if like everything is amazing, you know, the business is beyond your wildest dreams, you still need to network. There's never any end point with networking. Interestingly, when I first started my business, I was doing, you know, all the marketing in the world. I was doing content marketing, social media, you know, everything to try yeah. to get this business going. And I remember sitting there just going, oh my God, I am giving this business my heart and my soul, but I feel like there just needs to be more. Like I felt like there was not, not any real connection because it was an online business. And I'm like, how am I going to bring this to life? Yeah. So I was like, right, I need to get out from behind this desk. I need to be meeting people. And then I'm like, well, where do I start? How am I, how am I even going to do this? So one of the objectives I set myself was I was going to meet between one and three people in real life a week because I, I could dedicate the time back then to do that. Mm. And I was connecting with people that I had made initial, you know, connections with online, mainly through Instagram at that time. And we would meet up for, you know, um, you know, a juice back then. It was green juice. That, that's, <laughs> that's what was in vogue. And basically, I really treated it like business, you know, like it wasn't just social and I would meet with different people all the time. Mm. And we would be discussing, you know, the hurdles, the challenges, but also the wins. And I think when it comes to networking, and I do think this is where some people go wrong, is they go there to sell their product or service, which is the worst thing you can do. And I think that that's what gives networking a bad name. Yeah, absolutely. So you need to go with how can I, you know, how can I help these people? And that makes all the difference, that approach. And the skill of listening is louder than words. Absolutely. How can can I add value in this conversation? What can I give back? So you don't need to join big networking groups if that's not for you. If it's for you, great, go for it. Um, but you can just create your own network through reaching out to people one-on-one. But I can't, I can't actually stress how important it is. And one of, another area that I often talk about is that I think all business owners should have around about three golden stars in their network. And when I talk about golden stars, I'm talking about like three key people that is part of your gang and your posse, basically. And it's champions. Absolutely. But they're also quite often people that you don't know that well. And very often they're people in different industries. And these golden stars change over time, depending on which stage of business you're at. So, and you always end up have end up having a big a big net of golden stars. I've got a lot of golden stars, but there's people that I catch up with more frequently in that phase of business. But generally it'll be like a PR person, a legal person, a product and a service. For me, yeah, yeah, and that the might... areas where you maybe have a skill set gap, or yes. yeah, I need the most support. Last year, I arranged like this entrepreneurs getaway. I had a this amazing client who had this oh incredible house, um, about an hour away from Sydney, and so I reached out to five other girls and said let's all go away. And I knew them, but, you know, like, we're not all great friends. Mm -hmm. And we all met and we had two nights away. It was the best thing ever. And interestingly, we didn't actually talk about work that much. Like, it wasn't a mastermind. Mm. We talked, there was a lot of venting. Um, 
couple of the girls were having real problems with staff and structure. Mm-hmm. One of the girls was just saying, oh, my gosh, we've got, like, this negatron in the team. It's like cancer. This one negative person is just spreading negativity. I've had to, you know, restructure everything as a result. But in saying that... We just talked about normal stuff as well. Like we Mm. went to an animal shelter and took these dogs for a walk. It was amazing. But the interesting thing is, is we all came away from that. For me, that's when Sticky Studio crystallised for me. I was Mm. like, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even been thinking about it. It was just like being away and having different conversations. And so these kind of like catch-ups or, you know, even if it's a breakfast, sometimes it can just be a Zoom meeting, are invaluable. We have to make the effort to make it happen because we're so busy. Yeah, absolutely. And Mm. so important to broaden your network as you just touched on, you know, finding people outside of your immediate sort of field of expertise and keeping abreast of what's happening in the broader industry, I think, is really important as well. Yeah. And you touched on something really interestingly there about um, the idea of happy workplaces. I know as a small business owner, it is so hard to find the right skills, the right people, the right positions at the right time. And obviously the businesses grow and evolve over time, as do your employees. But I think having a great thriving team is so, so pivotal to having obviously a thriving business and happy customers. So do you have any advice to people on how to hire, any practical tips for HR and managing teams, especially when you're a small business and you probably don't have a HR manager. Yeah. Do you know there's one thing that I see go wrong so often when it comes to this is that when people are onboarding, whether it's contractors or employees, is that quite often they do it at a time where they're scrambling for resource. They're Mm. under pressure, they're overworked, they need someone yesterday. And as a result... These people that they find and they hire, they don't really have any really clear parameters Mm. and the business owner is not really that clear either. So as a result, it can start off all like, fabulous, I'm so glad you're here, everything's perfect, and then not that long down the track, it's like, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. I'm not even sure what to do now. And in all honesty, it actually comes back to the business owner very, very, very often. Not setting that person up for success. Yeah, but quite often just hiring the wrong person for the wrong position Mm. as well. So this is why we do not want to be in a reactionary style business and we need to be like planning for the future and getting the right people or at least kind of like putting our feelers out before it really comes to crunch time, which is easier said than done. I'm not saying it's easy, yes, but it's it's an approach that we really need to be aware of. So for all contractors um, and employees, we need to have a job description and a role. And we need to also, once they come in, is really have that conversation about creating, you know, KPIs, but getting them involved rather than just saying, this is what you need to do. And I think, you know, being in small business, one of the beauties of working with a small business is like being in a family. You know, it's happy, Mm. it's fun, and, and it can be far more creative and rewarding as well. But communication is key. It, it absolutely is. So whether that's weekly check-ins or, you know, like, you know, monthly team meetings, whatever it is, there needs to be a structure. And these people that are coming into your business, they need to feel like they're part of the family and it's their business too. Because the minute they become, you know, excited about the business, 
generally speaking, they'll give it their all. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's such great advice. And the last thing you want is an employee starting on their first day, not having any structure, not being able to access all of the basic things in, you know, shared drives or being able to set up their email. And they're just, you're setting them up for failure from day one and disempowering them, which I think is the worst thing for both you and for the new hire. So anything that people can do to avoid that, I think is absolutely beneficial. Yeah. I think it's also important to ask these people for feedback and advice on way that processes and elements of the business can be improved as well. Because quite often, you know, once they get in there, they get to see way more of the business or sides of the business that, you know, all of a sudden that you don't see any longer. So inviting that feedback is also really important as well. Nothing beats a fresh set of eyes, does it? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So something I hear all the time, obviously I run a tech company, The Right Fit, um, is this notion of sort of failing forward or failing fast um, and, you know, that taking risks is okay. And I think it's probably a little bit more acceptable in in the startup and tech space than it has been traditionally in in small businesses and, and more established businesses. I think taking risks is really important. That's where we grow and that's where new ideas and innovations come from. But how can we set up processes internally for taking risks in a safe way and being able to measure, obviously, the outcomes and the ROI of those? Yeah. Risks, you know, it's so interesting because as a business owner, you are just constantly having to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And at first it's terrifying, but then you get used to that feeling and risks is one of them. So for Mm. me... I've, and this is with all my clients as well. I'm like, you know what, we've got to take risks. But from my point of view, they need to be calculated risks. Yeah. I've seen amazing businesses go bust because the risks they've taken have just been crazy. Like they really haven't been thought out. So basically, you know, we we need to just identify the risks before we take them. And I I even talk about, you know what, if something goes wrong, we need to be able to unwind it, you know, and we need to be able to get out of this situation. So having like this basic plan, or at least just know certain people that you can contact if things don't go well, will help you. But I also think sometimes going into big new projects or like, you know, big steps in businesses you're actually better off going in stepping stones because you can adjust as you go and get the processes. Some people like are like, I just want this business to be huge or they move into a retail space that's beyond, you know, beyond yeah. what they can afford and it's just completely unsustainable. Then they've got to do a fit out on top of that. And it all is great at the beginning while they can afford it and then all of a sudden once the reality sets in, it's like, oh, my gosh. Terrifying. And I, yeah. I have seen businesses go bust as a result of that. With, with that, lo- mm. having that location space. And the whole thing could have been avoided. They could have got, you know, a hole in the wall yeah. and just built slowly from that. So I think don't let ego get in the way. I think that that can be an absolute killer of a mm. business. But I also think that there's a sweet spot in business. So, you know, we start off small and then everyone wants to grow big. But sometimes if the business grows too big, the overheads and the cash flow stop everything. And they were actually making more business when they were at that sweet spot and boutique. So I think it's just working out like, what do you want? Don't let ego get in the way. Yes, take risks, but make sure they're calculated and you've got a plan B so that if things do go a bit wrong, you, you can create enough time or resource to actually fix it. Because, you know, it's part of a business. There's going to be hurdles. There's going to be challenges. Things are always going to go wrong. It's not linear. Yeah, so true. But it's, but it's the businesses that identify the problems and create a solutions, they're the most successful. So yes, take risks, but 
calculated Cal- risk. Calculate them. And I love what you touched on there just about testing and iterating. Don't sort of throw the, the whole company um, finances into this test. Just test it, see if something works before you reinvest in, in making it the next yeah. big thing. Because at the end of the day, we have to be able to sleep at night as business owners. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we ideally strive to, don't we? <laughs> Whether we get to. Absolutely. So we don't want stress to keep us awake. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We want growth opportunities to keep Absolutely. us awake. Exactly. <laughs> I know the other thing that does keep a lot of businesses awake at night is finances. I think it's probably one of the most overwhelming areas. Um, unless you come from a background in that space of either being an accountant or a bookkeeper or in commerce of some perspective, then I think it's one of those sort of areas that people see as maybe being a little bit boring, a little bit overwhelming, but it's obviously the one that will really cripple you if it's not done correctly. Is there any advice that you have around setting a plan for things like cash flow management and also ways to feel more in control of these, any systems or processes or tools that you've seen um, so that they feel in control but they're not bogged down in the minutiae and, and boring paperwork? Interestingly, most business owners, not everyone, most business owners, they don't really like the finance side yeah. of it. Most business owners start off a business because they're so passionate about something and it's generally not finance. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, set the business up from success from day one. So for example, I like finances. Yeah, of course, I have to be interested in it, but it's not my strong suit. Mm-hmm. I'd much prefer to be doing, you know, the things, the elements that I love my business. So I actually set my business up from day one so that I wouldn't have to worry too much about you know, the day-to-day dealings of the finance. And this is before the business was even making money. So I met with the accountant, you know, to get all all the structure of the business in place. And then... I got myob. So there's myob or there's zero. So mm-hmm. even though the business wasn't actually, I was expending, there's a lot of expenditure <laughs> in the business, no income. So I actually got a bookkeeper from day one, right? Wow. Yeah. So, and I am. Great investment. It though. was the best thing I ever, ever, ever did because it freed me up to do what I was doing. And also, it gave me that peace of mind that everything was going to be input correctly. Correctly. And I think what's so fantastic now is there's so many new pieces of technology. You touched on zero before, and there's so many great um, tools that allow you to project how much GST you're going to need to pay. There's dashboarding um, platforms like Clipfolio, which just plug really easily into your data systems and can really present all of this to you in easy to understand, digestible, visual format so that it doesn't become this really daunting, overwhelming thing. Yeah. And the other thing that you talk about a lot is mindset. Setting you know, a personal growth mindset um, that leads to success for both the the business owner or entrepreneur as an individual, but then also for the company as well. What what does a growth mindset and mindset um, setting or shifting of mindset mean to you? And, And how does it help with things like this nebulous beast of work, not life balance that we seem to always be talking about. Work-life balance, my goodness. <laughs> that, that's such a hot topic because, you know, how, how do you achieve it, really? It, it's, it's the hardest or one of the hardest elements business owners face. And the approach that I like to take is let's not balance it, let's just integrate it. Mm. Because a lot of the reasons why people start their own business is to create this flexible lifestyle. So it's no longer this, you know, Monday to Friday in set times. In particular, if you have a family and, you know, you're dropping up, you're dropping off and picking up from school. So integrating it, the integrating your work and your life is super important. But also just 
learning and creating boundaries but enforcing them. So a lot of people like are great at creating boundaries and then there'll be one person or one incident mm. that they go, oh, okay, I'll just answer this email or I'll just take this phone call. But then that sets up the expectation that it's fine to do that because that person's like, oh, yeah, I'm just a special, I know that person well, <laughs> yeah. they'll just answer it. So it's really up to you to set and enforce those boundaries because, you know, if, if, it, if, the, if you're not enforcing them, then it's actually your problem. That's such a good point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. only control your behaviour, not anyone else's. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about setting mindset? So setting this um, a mindset for growth or to see opportunities and to not go into that overwhelm that is so common in small businesses. Yeah. Oh, mindset is everything. And I think it's a daily ritual that, mm. that we need to really harness. So I think that all business owners or everyone in general really needs to create a routine that is suited for them. So for me, I have to exercise every morning. If I don't, my day just does not go as well as it could. And part of that exercise and movement really is creating this positive mindset. Positive mindset, positive actions just helps you set up for success. And then if you're surrounding yourself by the right people that have similar mindsets and actions, it just helps you rise. So I think, you know, mindset, actions and just thought processes is super important. And when we're talking about thought processes, as we said before, it never stops. We're always working, a thousand ideas going through our minds. So I personally find that meditation has been an absolute game changer for me. Phenomenal. Yeah. Do you journal as well? No. Yeah, I I'm not a journaling journal- type. <laughs> I think I should try. But I do find meditation just calms the mind because particularly in the case if you're overwhelmed, it's the feeling of almost like brain freeze. Like your brain is full. Yeah. So full that you become frozen and you can't do anything. So I always say to people, like, if you're overwhelmed, the best thing you can do is go for a walk or get moving and quite often just take a pen and paper with you. And as you start moving, these thoughts will actually start to become clearer and you can start creating that to-do list or, you know, actions because it's, it's the problems and the workload that create the overwhelm, but we have to solve it. Otherwise, we're just going to stay stuck. So true. And that's where people say they're blocked. They can't do anything. I'm blocked. I can't do anything. So yes. So movement, mindset, meditation, and just letting, creating space so that we can think is absolutely key. Sometimes people have to take themselves off on retreats to really clear the mind as well. Yeah detox, get away from some technology for yeah. some time. And yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today, Alison. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Taryn. Thanks so much for listening to the Red Wire series by Vodafone Business. Click follow to keep up to date with our next episode.